Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Welcome back to my sermon podcast. It is great to be back with you again. We are closing up our sermon series about family. And so we'll be taking a look at a particular family today that we have been exploring, family of Abraham and Sarah and their offspring. Today we'll be looking at one of their grandsons, Jacob. So I'll be first reading from Genesis Uh, chapter 29, and this will be verses 15 through 30. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were lovely, and Rachel was graceful and beautiful. Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went in to her. Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her maid. When morning came, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, This is not done in our country, giving the younger before the firstborn. Complete the work of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel as a wife. Laban gave his wife, his maid, Bilhah, to his daughter Rachel to be her maid. So Jacob went in to Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. He served Laban for another seven years. May God's blessing be on the reading and living out of this word. I want you to think for a moment about all the different choices that you have already made today as you are listening to this podcast. So think about waking up this morning. What were all the decisions that you had to make? Well, you may have the night before made a decision. I'm going to set my alarm for a certain time. So you made the decision about what time you will wake up. And then as you begin to go through the day, what will you do as soon as you get out of bed? And all the process, your morning process, you may make a decision about what to have for breakfast. You may have made a decision about what to do while eating breakfast. Are you reading something? Are you watching something, listening to something? Maybe you're listening to this podcast as you're eating breakfast. You made a decision perhaps about what to wear for the day, about what time to, if you're taking a shower, what time to do that. If you went out for a workout, you made a decision about what kind of workout, and that's just the morning. So all of the different decisions, the choices that you've had to make already today. I was reading one article uh, this week in Psychology Today that cites some sources that say, I get this, that an adult, it's estimated that an adult makes about 35,000 remotely conscious decisions each day. In contrast to that, a child makes about 3,000, which may sound unbelievable, But according to another study by researchers at Cornell University, when it comes to food, they say that we make 20 or 226.7 decisions each day just about food. 
maybe the 0.7 is about you're only eating part of a banana. I'm not sure where the 0.7 comes in, but it is astounding to think about all of the different choices that we make every single day. Now, one choice that we probably don't think that we consciously make, and that is or has to do with our family, particularly a family that we were either born into or perhaps adopted by, the vast majority of us, when you think about choices, that was not a choice that we make. So when you think about family and this sermon series, that's probably not something that we necessarily think about. We're just born into it. It's a luck of the genetic draw. But I think that's changing a little bit, particularly in recent years, if you read articles and this whole notion of chosen family is becoming more and more popular for various reasons. There are some individuals who may live far away from home And so they want to surround themselves with people that they know they can count on, who will love them. And so they make a decision to be, have a chosen family. Or maybe they're in a part, or they're, they grew up in a family where there was a difficulty, abuse even. And so they've made a a break from that family of origin. And again, wanting to choose a family that they know that they can count on. So the notion that we don't have a choice about family may also be put into question. So as we've been looking at the scriptures and looking at this whole notion of family, well, what does scripture have to say about this whole notion of choosing family? That's the focus of the sermon today. I mentioned last week in a sermon about what family is in the scriptures and how certainly when we read in the Older Testament, the importance of family, and we're going to I'm going to say a quick word about the 12 tribes of Israel and the importance of that and this importance of being born into one of these tribes or one of these large families. But as we'll see in a few minutes, Jesus kind of turns this on its head a little bit. And actually, Jesus is the one, we might say, who introduces this notion of chosen family. So first, let's take a look at this passage today and this notion of the 12 tribes of Israel. So we talked a couple of weeks ago about Sarah and Abraham, these ancestors, the patriarch or matriarch of of our faith and and the Jewish faith too. They had a son named Isaac who had a son named Jacob, and that's where we are focusing on today. Jacob was essentially the father of 12 different sons, not all by one woman, however. And we begin to see the introduction of the four women who would give birth to these 12 sons. So the 12 tribes of Israel, we will read in the Older Testament the importance of these tribes and being born into one of these tribes. Now, you may have read or know or heard about Rachel. She's mentioned here in the text today. The author talks about how beautiful she is. She gave birth to two sons, uh, to Jacob. She is mentioned 46 times in the uh, throughout the scriptures. So, Rachel is mentioned quite a bit. This was Joseph's first choice. We also read about Leah, Rachel's sister, Leah actually gives birth to six of Jacob's sons. And so even though she takes second fiddle in this passage that we read and later on today, she does her best, if you were to continue reading throughout Genesis, to try to win Jacob's affections. And so she thinks, if I have this child, if I have this son, that will be the thing that wins Jacob over. So Leah is mentioned 32 times. So when we talk about family, the 12 tribes, Rachel and Leah are are lifted up. A biblical scholar, Dr. Will Gaffney, talks about how uh, Rachel and, and Leah are are lifted up and often used and mentioned in, in liturgies, 
in Jewish services. But I want today to focus on two other individuals that we read about are introduced to here in this passage that hardly get any mention at all and aren't talked about. And that is Bilhah and Zilpah. So why am I talking about these two individuals that aren't mentioned much at all? Zilpah is only mentioned seven times in the scriptures. Bilhah is only mentioned 11 times. Now, the scripture mentions them or describes them as maids. And uh, Rachel and Leah utilize them, in a sense, to give birth to some of Jacob's uh, family, or gives birth to some of Jacob's sons, too. In fact, between the two of them, Zilpah uh, gives birth to two sons, as does Bilhah. Now, they're mentioned as maids in the scripture here, but Dr. Gaffney uh, says that actually that's probably not a very accurate way of describing them. Instead, a, a way of talking them would be actually to that they were enslaved women associated with sexual duties. So, to say that they were maids is not quite getting at the heart of who they were. So, we continue to read this, this family, Jacob, particularly, again, Jacob and Rachel and Leah, talking about who they were and mentioned many times. But again, Zilpah and Bilhah are not mentioned at all. So, we, it may seem to us in our modern ears, this is an interesting, slightly strange family. Of course, Rachel and Leah, these sisters, both married to the same man. And yet, there's a sense, perhaps, that this is family, that Rachel and Leah are the real matriarchs of these tribes. And yet we cannot forget about Zilpah and Bilhah. And that's why I want to focus on them today. And these are sometimes in our scriptures, if we pay close attention to them, we may ask the question, well, what about them? What happened to these two individuals? They're mentioned so uh, rarely in the scriptures and mentioned so rarely in, in services. What happened to them? Who was their family? Were they just simply ignored? Were they treated as enslaved women? Were they left out? Where did they go for some semblance of family? Was it their sons? Or maybe did they connect to each other? Did they become each other's chosen family? I think that's something to reflect on and imagine and wonder about, especially when we jump into the Gospels and begin to read about what Jesus did in his own conception of family. Again, I've mentioned that so many times people of faith talk about family values, the importance of family. And yet Jesus, interestingly, has some fascinating things to say about family. If we jump to Jesus and talk about who Jesus' family was in the Gospel of Mark, some of Jesus' family heard about some of the things he was doing. And in Mark 2, 21, it says that when Jesus' family heard what was happening, what he was doing, they came out to take control of him. And they were saying, he's out of his mind. Now, this is Jesus' family that's saying this. And then later in Mark 3, again, Jesus' mother and brothers arrive when Jesus is teaching and they stand outside this house that he's in and they call out to him. And there's a crowd around Jesus And someone says to Jesus, look, your mother, brothers, and sisters are outside looking for you. And then Jesus says something really interesting. He says, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Looking around at those seated around him in a circle, he said, look, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother, sister, and mother. Jesus talks about chosen family here. And in his definition, those 
who do God's will, these are the ones who are my brothers and my sisters and my mother. Jesus, throughout the scriptures, reaches out to those who are on the margins, reaches out to the Zilpahs and the Bilhas of society. He did it then, and I think Jesus would still do it today. Now, it is not easy to think about chosen family. Who would be the people that we know we can count on? I was talking to a woman, a former student pastor, uh, yesterday, and she just got married. And I was congratulating her on that. And I said, how's married life? And she said, it's great. She said, it's great to know that you have someone, in her terms, even if the world was on fire, I know I could count on. And it's not always easy to think about chosen family. In some way, the family that we're born into, sometimes there's a sense of, well, they're blood, so I have to be there for them. I have to take care of them no matter what. There was, when I was in college, they had a a program called Adopt-A-Family where families in the community would uh, be willing to essentially take in a college student into their home. And I remember going to one of these gatherings, and there was an uh, older woman who uh, she had lived by herself, and she said she'd be happy to be essentially an adopted grandma, and she even offered to do laundry. Now, you would think, and when I first heard that, I thought, this is the family that I want to be a part of. And so I I asked uh, to be adopted by her, and we were paired up. And then I found myself not taking advantage of her offer. I think I may have only took my laundry to her once over that school year, even though she kept asking me about it. And I don't know what it was. I don't know if I was just so preoccupied or busy or felt self-conscious about bringing my literal dirty laundry to this woman. But it was hard for me to really get into this whole notion of being a quote-unquote adopted family. There are lots of other barriers that we may face, this whole notion of what chosen family is. Some of it may be that we are, when we make this decision, it's a commitment. Jesus, kind of in his concept of chosen family, he puts it out there saying, those who do God's will, these are the people that I call my brother and my sister and my mother. And I think sometimes when we read throughout the scriptures in the Newer Testament too, this whole concept of church as family, talking about brothers and sisters in faith. Today, we also can want to make sure we're talking about our siblings in faith for those in our congregation who are non-binary. And it, that too is hard because in church, I mean, the declining attendance of church, I want to reflect on this whole notion of what how church can be chosen family for us too. And yet, because there's certainly declining numbers in churches all around the country, and people are not necessarily looking for church to be that. They want church to be something that inspires them, that gives them peace, that gives them comfort. But I think so often in our in our faith lives and in our church lives, we still think about it as transactional. An individual goes in, they want to get something out of it, and they do want community. They want to make friends, and all, these are all good things. But to take that next step and see a faith community as this is my chosen family, not to the expense of your family of origin, but 
These are people with whom I can be in close relationships. These are the people I know who will be there for me no matter what. And I think this is the thing that church can provide, as opposed to some other groups, good groups that can be a part of it, to, to be part of a church and to say, this is my family, so that the Zilpahs and the Bilhas of the world can find in a faith community, a Christian church, a place that the church can be the place for the ones who are marginalized, that the church can be the place for the ones who aren't mentioned very often, for the church can be the ones who are enslaved in different ways. Can, can we as a church be that? And that's a hard thing. It's a challenging thing because it means that we are committing to being there in the highs and the lows of our person's life. I was at a, a gathering this past weekend called United Methodist Forward for some United Methodists who, are, who gathered to talk about what might happen in our denomination. And one of the speakers was another former student pastor, or a resident, I should say, at, at Urban Village named Tyler Sitt. Tyler was, uh, worked with, with me for a, about nine months or so. He had just graduated from seminary and was going to go on eventually to plant a church in Minneapolis, which he's doing right now. And he was one of the speakers at this gathering, and he was uh, talking about an experience of going to an extended family gathering. Uh, Tyler's the son of a Chinese immigrant, and he was at this gathering with some of his his father's family. So uh, these different folks, Chinese uh, family members. And because there were so many, Tyler said at times it was hard to remember who was who and hard to know who exactly he was related to and who he wasn't. And there was one woman who came up and gave Tyler a big hug and he, he didn't recognize her. And so he kind of turned to his father and kind of whispered saying, I, who is this person again? And his father said, this is your aunt, your auntie. And then Tyler's father said, you are not related to her by blood. But Tyler's father said, she has always had your back. And this Tyler then talked about what the church can be And he said, what if for the church, do we need both our local churches and our, the broader church, do we need what he called a council of aunties of people who are not related to us by blood, but for people, these wise individuals, these people who will love us, who will have our back no matter what. And I love this whole notion of what would it mean to have a council of aunties when we become part of a church, when we become of a community, when we make a decision this is going to be my family. I'm going to commit to them. And this decision is, is not an easy one. Again, it takes commitment. It takes covenant. It makes a promise. I'm going to be here. And I trust that others will be here for me too. And I'm grateful that I can see glimpses of this at, at the church that I'm a part of in lots of different ways. A few weeks ago, one of our members named Jacqueline Gave, she gave testimony. She talked about how one of her ministries, she goes to nursing homes and she sings to residents at these nursing homes and she needed someone to play the piano. And she, I think, put the call out there. And Roland, one of our worship leaders, said that he would do it. And I don't think you're going to get that kind of commitment from another kind of group, perhaps, that you would be part of. We have another woman named Julie in our church. And she's willing to drive all over the city to pick up individuals and take them to different events because sometimes it's hard to get to places on train or bus. 
There's another couple named Dave and Janice who invites newer folks, particularly young adults, into their home for dinner. They can become better acquainted with them so they can get a sense of who they are and a sense of a welcome into the community. There's a woman named Crystal who almost every week she texts me on Wednesdays, just a midweek message of, of support. One of our student pastors, Kelly, helped uh, another one of our members who goes to a different site Helped him move. I mean, if there's ever an example of someone, a family member, willing and ready to be there for somebody else, it's helping somebody move. These are just a few examples that we see here in our church. So this is really a call out for those of you who are listening, whatever community of faith that you're part of, or for those of you who aren't, an encouragement to be part of a community of faith and to see this as as a family, because this kind of chosen family, too, is so important. I mean, it's great that we have our families of origin, that we're uh, maybe married or have a partner or someone, that we have maybe have children or parents or cousins, whatever, that we can relate to or connected to. That's great. But then to also have these people that we surround ourselves and we say to them, I am going to be here for you. And then to be a community that makes the commitment in addition to the people that may look like us or think like us, we are also going to reach out to the people that are sometimes forgotten. Again, the Bilhas and the Zilpas of the world who may not have anywhere to go. These individuals who will not be mentioned hardly at all. Can communities commit to also being a family to them too? Wherever you are in your church life and church uh, or in your faith life, I hope that you'll consider to make that commitment, to recommit yourself too, if you are part of a community of faith. There's so many people who are desperate for this kind of family, who are desperate to have a council of aunties for themselves, and that is a choice. That is a choice that all of us can make to reach out to those who have nothing, who may have few choices so that we can be that family. And by doing so, we do what Jesus commanded, that whoever does God's will is my brother, sister, and mother. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for listening. You can always reach out to me again on email, christian at urbanvillagechurch.org. You can go to my website, christiancoon.com, and see some of the stuff that I'm doing there. Always happy to connect with folks. And so until next week, uh, friends, may the peace of Christ be with you.